This podcast is a project of the Climate Designers Network. Hey, this is Eric. Happy back to school to all of you. I put together this episode just for you to provide some inspiration to kick off another swell school year. The topic today is life-centered design. And what is it? We all know about human-centered design and drop the term HCD often at work or with our nerdy designer friends, but what is life-centered design? Currently, we're faced with ridiculous climate events, from wildfires in Maui and nearly all of Northern Canada, to a hurricane combined with earthquake in Southern California. I really wonder how much human-centered design has helped. Well, it does seem like it's created a lot of great products and experiences for us, but has it been truly inclusive to all humans? And furthermore, what are the impacts of it on our planet? Well, seemingly it has at least not solved the problem of climate change and likely contributed to it quite a lot. When I thought of the term life-centered, three people came to mind. Two of which are my really good friends, and one I was introduced to through another friend. They are all over the world and have been dedicating their lives to exploring the question of what is life-centered design. Hello, my name is Michelle Feeler. I'm a clinical associate professor at Arizona State University at Design School, and I teach graduate and undergraduate classes mainly focused around biomimicry in design, which includes all kinds of different designs. And I am situated right now in Phoenix, Arizona. I am found on LinkedIn under my name and also on my website at nahimza.com. Hello, my name is Jeroen Polsta. I'm a designer from the, from the Netherlands. I live in a tiny village in Spanish Pyrenees. I'm developing currently a lifestyle design approach. You can find me online via my website of Unleashed Studio or via the Lifestyle Design School or via LinkedIn under my name. Hi everyone, I am Charlene Sequera. I am a strategic designer and educator. I work at the Center for Complexity at the Rhode Island School of Design, where I facilitate and develop programs around strategy and innovation. On the side, I also work with nonprofits and startups in the climate change and sustainability space. Um, I'm currently in Muscat, Oman, visiting family, but otherwise I'm based in India and sometimes in the US or wherever my heart takes me and my bank balance. But you can find me online on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Charlene Sequera. And also you can find my somewhat dated work on my website, which is charlenesequera.com. Welcome, everybody. There's three people joining me today, which is making this a special edition of Climify, where we're going to be deep diving into the concept of life-centered systems thinking with three amazing guests who focus on that in their own work, whether it be teaching, whether it be out in the world. And I myself am very interested in this idea and I brought you all here today so that we can talk more about it and, and make sure that more designers are working with it. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Hello. Hello. Thanks for the invite. Sure. Yeah. 
Well, the the term, the first term that came up, of course, in my quick monologue was life-centered systems thinking. It's it's the theme of the show, and maybe we can just dissect that that word to start, actually. And first of all, I'm I'm interested in what your definition of life-centered is. We'll start with the first part of it, life-centered. Yeah, I think life-centered is, as the name suggests, putting all life at the center of our design process or inquiry process. Human-centered design puts humans at the center of the design process and outcomes, which is good to a certain extent, but I think that if we really want to solve the systemic interrelated problems uh, that we have in the world that go beyond humans, we really need to move towards a more life-centered way of thinking and designing. Not only including our life, I feel that the reasoning for why we should include our life is because Homo sapiens is one of the newest species on this planet. The other elders around us have figured out many, many problems already. Mm -hmm. And so learning from others, which include birds and reptiles and fish and plants and trees that we bring into the life-centered approach can give us a lot of innovative ideas and solutions that are maybe fresh and new and help us go beyond these problems that we have these days. Yeah, that's kind of a beautiful way to look at it. And it also puts in perspective how bad we've been <laughs> in our short time on this planet. And and what I think is like when you look at like design or system thinking from a life-centered way, all these other things kind of pop up. You talk about like in the short time we've been on this planet, like because you have to kind of really think about longevity of the things we design or if we create the business that we do. And maybe also think about like future generations in in our design process how difficult that also is like you know and like how do you design for someone that doesn't exist that isn't there on the planet yet yeah but yeah like like including as many life forms as you can possibly can and also advocating for like humans that have no voice in that process it's not just kind of like life for like nature, but also like one humans or non-users that don't have a, have a voice. Yeah. Especially if you're choosing materials in your design process, someone is making them maybe. Yeah. And what is the, what are their lives like and where they are? Yeah. So what about the term systems thinking? How do you, def how do you define that? And then we can kind of connect those two terms together. Well, maybe like simply put, like if I cook something. It's not just one meal I cook. It's kind of connected to kind of the system of like how the food is produced, how the food is sold, how the food is shipped over the world, how the, the tools I use to cook with, the, the energy I use. So it's kind of like you're thinking of like, oh, I'm just making one meal, like, kind of like I don't know, like a, and like, like a pasta bone, yes. But it's everything is interconnected nowadays. And, you know, like just going, like looking at these kind of simple things in life, like a little bit broad, broader, kind of like get you kind of connected to the system. Yeah. And I also feel that we all make the best decisions that we can at all times. I believe that all humans, when we do things that we consider everything we know as much as possible, whenever the situation allows, 
But systems thinking allows you to go into more detail to try to prevent some of the negative consequences that could happen. Otherwise, if we don't think about the tangential factors who are in connected to whatever we're doing. So not just thinking about the stakeholder and the audience and the material, but also thinking beyond who else is involved in this mm. system thinking. And like Yerun said, everything's connected. Yeah. And so it's really important to consider all of those factors before we make decisions, because that is what got us into this problem that we're in. Right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I echo Yerun's and Michelle's understanding and definition of systems thinking when they talk about this interdependence, right? thinking about the interdependence, connections, relationships in different scales and time periods. So you're really expanding your understanding of a simple task or a product design or a situation to branch out over time and scale and people and these kind of silos that we usually think in. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, why systems thinking is so challenging and also so exciting. Yeah. So I wonder, as you're all talking, this this is something, of course, that I, I agree with, with all three of you. This is something that I feel uh, life-centered systems thinking is is what we should be doing. And it makes me wonder, right, when we're in the design classroom, we're in a design studio. I mean, it's it's all about human-centered design and design thinking. And this is this process, life-centered systems thinking, right, is is a big change potentially for a lot of people. But how how can we shift designers to think more in the way that they should be and 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 basically, maybe how how is this better than human centered design? That's maybe the selling point, right? You know, it's, <laughs> we need a slogan for it, maybe. Yeah, I know. We need a PR agency. Well, we um, we have like a like we call it like metamorphose into a life centered designer, like, like making that shift from human centered design to life centered design. Yeah. Um, I got critiqued the other day by a, by 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 a designer from Kenya. That I was making it too black and white, the difference between human centered design and life centered design. Oh, really? And he had a point. Oh, okay. You know? So, how, what, what was your comparison? It was kind of like the seven, like, kind of like, like human centered design is degenerative and life centered design is, is regenerative. And uh, human centered design is short term thinking and life centered design is long term thinking. Oh, right. You're making, and, yeah, I see. Yeah. And it, and it was still polarizing. And I had to agree, like, and because I really looked at it from my own, like, like narrow perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's more, more like making it like, you know, I think the human center side has a, has a really big role to play still. Also when it comes to like societal challenges or social innovation, um, but I think it lost its kind of core meaning. Maybe it's now all about like, it's kind of like making the sit, like basically like creating more sales for your, for, for, for the, for the company you're doing the right. design for or design thing. We're capitalist. <laughs> Well, maybe it should be more like used again as a holistic approach for social challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, and life's in design is a step further and that kind of includes kind of also the non-human world and kind of the more the non-users. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, a, it's more like a trajectory, I think, 
or like an an equalizer like when depending on the challenge what do you need and maybe evolution where we look at human-centered design and take the best pieces of it and we infuse the life-centered into it instead of say either or right right because if we look at a systems map of life-centered and human-centered design they're connected as well so Mm -hmm. not excluding one or the other is important and sometimes we have to push a little harder on one button for people to acknowledge and, and incorporate something new. And that's maybe what we're trying to do. And But in the end, taking the best of both, I think would be a really good solution. Yeah, I definitely think that it's an evolution from human-centered design. Life-centered systems thinking definitely takes on uh, some of the aspects that human-centered design hopes to accomplish. As Yaron was saying, you know, human-centered design is used for social impact work to look at uplifting certain communities and addressing these systemic challenges. However, because of its popularity and commercialization, it's been simplified in order to be packaged and sold for companies and organizations who want a quick yet smart solution, right? which is always a challenge. And I think in comparison, life-centered systems thinking, as, as I see it, is not just a set of methods and tools that you print out and use and, you know, automatically get success, but life-centered systems thinking is more of a mindset. Uh, more of a continuous practice and a fluid guide that is agnostic and embraces complexity um, without wanting to simplify the world in order to get that amazing shiny solution at the end. Right. It's it's messy. Yeah. That's what it, I was saying. It is. And I wonder. Can I, can, I, can I oppose to that a little bit? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Because like I thought the same when I started, oh, it needs to be a philosophy and it needs to be like a mindset and all true. But then when I chose to kind of fully focus on life and design and 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 make a living with my with my with my design studio or my school, people ask me, how do I learn this, mm-hmm. or how do I apply this in in my organization? And then. It comes down that you have a, some sort of, of a, a few methods that can help go through that process. So you do need some tools for that. I totally agree with Charlene that like, not try to simplify it, but like have tools that help people think and create the right, like think about it and find the right design challenges and then create the right solutions. Hmm. So for me, it's also an approach. It's also a process which you have to, and that process is more like in the maybe in the mind of the receiver, because they kind of need to understand how you go from like a problem to kind of like a solution or or an answer. Um, So it does, for me, personally, it does need like some sort of like process with some tools. Um, I, I agree. I think having a structured framework of some sort to help people engage with life-centered systems thinking and actually apply it is super important. So I agree with your own disagreeing with 
my <laughs> and we're going to make a new that statement works. together. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with the idea that the polarization is probably bad, right? It doesn't work in politics, right? That just divides us. It's the life-centered camp versus the human-centered camp, and that doesn't get us anywhere because we want more cooperation. And so, yeah, I agree with I agree with everything that you guys have been discussing so far. So, <laughs> Eric is agreeing with everything. I, That's I'm not a Eric good sign. Disagree. I know. I want Eric to disagree. <laughs> this this has to be a fun podcast. Okay, I will. I will start to disagree just for the sake of disagree. <laughs> you need the devil's advocate in this. Class. I'll be the devil's advocate soon. I definitely yeah. know. But I still, no. so there's there's a quote that uh, Charlene said when I was talking to her a while ago, and that was that she described life-centered systems thinking as a more immersive design process where you merge strategy with your heart. And I don't even know if you remember saying that, but it, it stuck out to me as, and it connects with that idea of cooperation between the two different camps, potentially, of designers. So I'm wondering, do you remember, first of all, saying that? And can you talk more about why you defined it that way? Well, I actually do remember, surprisingly, that I, that I said that only because I wrote it down in my, in my notebook. You, you wrote down your um, own quote when you said it. I, I, I drew a little diagram. Okay. That, that's, that's better. That's what I usually do. But I, I think that I would not define it, well, not call it a definition so much as a recommendation, mm -hmm. because as we engage with life-centered systems thinking or any other concept or theory or framework, there are different ways to engage with it. As an educator, when you're trying to teach someone or bring them on, you can give them the theory, right, which is using your mind you can ask them to make something with their hands, but then you also have to inspire them to want to engage in this way. And that's where the heart comes from. And I think when you are immersed or create an immersive design practice with life-centered systems thinking, it is that marriage between strategy in your mind, making in your hands, and the ethics and Ooh. will of your heart that brings it together to really start to shift that needle. And I think that's what I would recommend. It's hard, but that's where we want to get, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe one way to do that is what Michelle and Haron do in their classes, and they yes. take the students outside. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. for you two, why do you do that? And why is getting ourselves outside this healthier for ourselves and our process and making? Because I can, because I live in a village with 30 people and around me is like only nature and all you can see and rural land. So then, yeah, if, if I have students or like like other like designers to coming over here to come and learn about life and design will be outside and actually and that's kind of how it started and then from there i was like oh but actually it makes my it makes like learning easier it makes designing easier if i have a 
uh, a design meeting with 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 my wife Marcel or like on, on, or Alejandra or someone else from the team that lives close by. We do that outside, and then everything flows way easier than that you do it inside hmm. somehow. And I don't really I don't know the science behind it. Maybe Michelle will probably <laughs> Michelle say that better, but like. <laughs> We'll rely on you here for the science, Michelle. <laughs> well, I mean, there's plenty of books out there that talk about the importance of us being outside and what kind of effect it has on our bodies with oxygen levels, stress reduction, creativity. There's all kinds of benefits. But I agree with Yaron where it's kind of leveraging nature to help make something super cool. And since it's something that is not done in every class, it makes class way more fun for students. So whenever I take students outside there, they take deep breaths and they start talking to each other in different ways. And they, they start thinking about things in a different way and they start getting questions. They, they start with time, they start going outside and saying like, why is this that way? And that's exactly what we want to have happen where we question things that we might have walked by a thousand times, but because we're now present in the moment outside with nature's kind of strategy surrounding us, then it's much easier to kind of tap into that solution space and that curiosity going again. So we, we took some students to Hawaii in September, and this was the group of students who went through COVID with online classes for the last two years. These are graduate students. So their graduate program is three or two years, depending on which program they're in. But all of them in their reflections at the end of the week said that they feel alive again, that oh they gosh, that's good. They were able to connect to each other in a much deeper way. And they they just sleep much better. And they have all these ideas of what they want to do now with their projects. And so just... I mean, creating that kind of experience inside the classroom is impossible. You can try, but nature is the best way to immerse people into something and just tapping into that. Yeah. I, I like that thing we said, like kind of like, you know, it's slowing down, kind of being in the moment and we don't do that enough, also not in our daily practice. And I remember when I still lived in Amsterdam or like I lived near Amsterdam and, 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 and taught their design classes at the university. I also took students out of, out of the classroom, uh, in front of the, the university building or like in the surroundings, there was no nature there, but that also already that kind of gave like another feeling to kind of the individual student, like, Hey, we can just be outside and talk about design work and, and connect differently. So it's also just that out going outside and changing perspective that, 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 yeah, that really helps. Just one little thing that I wanted to add, what Irun said, sometimes we have this pressure that we feel like I mentioned Hawaii, or you have to pack up your car and, and drive for three hours to get into nature. But there are lots of studies out there that say that if you walk from a parking lot to a building, then you can see nature in, in other ways, like the little weeds that come up to the crack in the, in the sidewalk. That is yeah, already enough. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up because what about the people teaching design in New York City, Amsterdam, Cleveland, uh, you name it, where, you know, they can't walk out into the mountains of Spain. Where can they see nature? And I guess you're right. It's like, it's everywhere. It's fighting up the cracks of the sidewalk. It's off the side of the building growing up from, from the dirt. 
and we are also nature. We, we we stop realizing that we are also nature. So you kind of like mm-hmm. you kind of be outside, pay attention to each other, pay attention and and look at new human nature. You know that it's kind of in your face. It's dressed up. Yeah, <laughs> like they're all kind of. Someone's it. likely walking their dog too, and you'll see a bird. Yeah. Um, and you can. Yeah, you can you know, I was just gonna kind of piggyback on what you said that you know we are part of nature as well, and when we cannot kind of ground ourselves by going out into nature. I know that, you know, we did this in our pre-pandemic in-person studios with our participants where we would have five minutes in a circle of just meditating and grounding ourselves in the studio practice because we do need to find a way to slow down and just be present I think, you know, it's the so hard to do, of, though. It's so hard to do, Charlene. It is. And, and but there are just five minutes of sitting with your eyes closed and being present and just, you know, listening to your breath mm-hmm. and making an intention of what you want to achieve in a particular studio really helps leave your worries out the door, you know, outside the door and work together as a team. So yes, there are different ways to provide this kind of immersive feeling. One is going out into nature. One is looking inwards as well with the people around you. Yeah, I wonder based on what you were describing, all three of you describing in terms of how being outside just make things, make us connected better, work better, Jerome had this comment when we first met in a prior to this recording about, and I'm going to screw it up. So you're going to have to fill it, fill in the blanks here. It's something about less design sprints and more something. Do do you remember saying that? Uh, Less design sprints and more design walks. Okay. See that, that's wonderful. Yeah. Right. And I, you know, like when I, when I still lived in the Netherlands and did a lot of design thinking workshop, I just put it put like a lot of candy in like my participants or in my students. And then I had to kind of like tell them like, okay, yeah, for 15 minutes and you have to come up with hundred ideas. Yeah. And they're all shallow, you know, because but you only have two hours and you want to do like a, like a, like a divergent and a convergent loop and then that's it. And now I feel but like, Hey, we have to actually, well, I, when I, maybe we should have less ideas and, but think them, like explore these ideas in a deeper way. Like yeah. kind of slow ideation, kind of like, and make sure that they're more connected and well kind of thought through and like really kind of like meet a need or a problem of a persona or a, or a user or a non-user or like, you know, that they really solve a problem. Yeah. Cause that's really what the opposite of what, at least I was taught in design school, which was you're talking about quality over quantity yeah. and, and, and when I was in school, it was quantity over I don't know, maybe it wasn't quality or something else in that draw as many ideas as you can, as fast as you can, and something will come out of it. It usually did, but I never considered ethics. I never considered beyond the human. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, like, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the person to kind of actually come up with those ideas. Yeah. 
and I, I saw like, and, and maybe we should not even like do brainstorms with IDs, but brainstorm questions. Like brainstorm I saw like questions. LinkedIn post like yesterday about like, Hey, we should have brainstorms that kind of resolve around questions. Yeah. Like maybe we should do that. What we do in the nature-based approach where we, we try to come up with questions rather than with, because we have something called human cleverness in the biomimicry field where we plug in ideas that we might have seen somewhere else or ideas that we think we know. And if we work with those, then we might be creating something again that is based on something that is not rooted in life. And so the questions approach is the beginning of coming up with new ideas and, and looking at things differently. And that's what the life-centered approach is supposed to do, right? It's just comparing how does nature collect energy versus how do we energy and then coming up with questions on the gaps and then mm -hmm. brainstorming on that yeah so if, if an educator um, is listening to this and says hey I, I i agree with what you're saying but what i'll take my class outside but what do i do i yeah and i like the idea of more design walks so are there some activities that you do with your students that work pretty well outside? So one of the fun ones is like a scavenger hunt that I like to do with designers where I give them the function, which is usually a verb, let's say temporarily attach. And then the students have to go find in nature where that happens, where they attach temporarily. So then they come up with leaves and flowers and maybe fur on animals and you know other and that kind of helps them translate some of the problems that they might want to solve into something that nature does and then that helps to find the solution space in turn then again so that's just one of them that i like to do that students like doing um kind of narrowing it down for them into mm -hmm. a few of the kind of works that describe a problem that you would like to solve for and then go search in life where that is happening. I, and like, yeah, like uh, one of the books that I really like about that is like how to be an explorer of the world. I've and never it's kind heard of like, and now, now go collect uh, like only yellow things from nature or collect. Uh, so you're going to all see these things differently. And you can just, what I sometimes just do is like silent walks, like no phone. In the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes, we're just going to walk. No talking, no phone, nothing. It's just kind of like let everything kind of like sink in, use your senses. Yeah, that's Charlene's meditation. Yeah. And, you know, one of the exercises that we would do in our earlier programs at the Center for Complexity when we were delivering our strategic design programs is we would ask students or participants rather to go out and bring back buttons 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 okay. and they'd be like buttons and we'd be like any kind of think of what buttonness means and go out and bring back buttons and it was so interesting to see everyone's interpretation of a button and one of my most favorite ones is someone came back with his drawing of the sun 
And he said, the sun is like a button because it turns life on and off. You know, the like mm-hmm. it starts something and it's okay. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I it's blow. so cool. That's- yeah. I'm thinking um, Mom's on a shirt here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly. And that's the first thing. Or buttons on your phone. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, so, and then the, they have all these different interpretations of buttonness, which was kind of an exercise on going out into the world and also expanding your definition of a particular thing. And seeing how the world inspires you to question your predefined definition of what is, right? From a human point of view, like shirt buttons on my shirt that is made by a person, <laughs> worn by a person. Yeah. Super cool. And the main goal for me when I take students outside is to engage all the senses. And we had that little conversation before the podcast about smell and texture and sounds and mm. um because we are especially when we're indoors we are very much visual we we navigate information visually we read we watch we see so but going outside taking kind of the vision away is a really quick way to get people to tap into their other senses which activates a different area of their brain which then allows us to reframe things and that helps a lot to get students into that mindset quickly. So like Yerun, the, the outside walk, when we go to the botanical garden, we always have a walking meditation where we try to hear the feet on the gravel, where there's no talking and we walk really slow and consciously and intent with intent. And that helps to take everything that happened before when you had to catch the bus and you rode your bike and whatever happened before is behind you. And right now you're just right here and you're engaging your senses in a quick way. And that really helps immerse. And taking like forest rangers or biologists or ecologists with you, because they, they, they have so much knowledge about like nature, natural life species. They, they, they look through different lenses. Like I look through a design lens, but they look through their own lens and that is so enriching. Mm-hmm. You know, like they have so much new information, new insights. And if you combine that with the senses, uh, it becomes very rich. We'll take a quick commercial break here and then get back to the conversation. Where do young designers see themselves at the intersection of climate change and innovation? And how can we teach that intersection in the classroom? Designers are problem solvers, capable of imagining solutions for a more sustainable future. My name is Rachel Cifarelli, and I'm part of the Climate Designers New Wave team. In the past few years, New Wave has released two reports exploring students' experiences of climate design education, or lack thereof, and what they hope to see in their classes. Now we want you, design educators, to use this research in your classrooms. And this summer, we're giving educators a chance to talk to the New Wave team directly. Twice a month, the New Wave researchers will be available to walk you through our findings, answer any questions you have, and help you implement actionable project briefs directly into your classroom. We'll also show you how to use our media kit to easily share the research with your students and how they can sign up to be a participant. Head to climatedesigners.org edu slash new wave to sign up for a call with the new wave team. Help us inform a new wave of design education, one that teaches every designer how to be a climate designer. Hey. 
graphic design history is messy. It's incomplete and it's full of overlooked, underrepresented and ignored people and topics. Incomplete Design History Podcast explores those topics and talks about those people to deepen and expand our knowledge, understanding, and interpretation of the history of graphic design. Season one and two are already available covering women from graphic design history and BIPOC designers and design culture. Be sure to subscribe to Incomplete Design History wherever you listen to podcasts and get caught up before season three drops in the fall of 2023. I-N-C-O-M-P-L-E-T, Design History. So I'm wondering, like you you guys do this really well, um, and you've been doing it for a while. If, if someone wants to get started doing this and they don't maybe feel comfortable leading a meditative practice on a walk, what are some things that... Uh, they can do even to feel more comfortable doing that or can they work with somebody i mean obviously call any of the three of us here and and they will be happy to help in some way but i'm thinking very practical i want to i want to do this in my class i don't know if i feel comfortable leading a meditative practice but i could try are there is there anything that could help me that you guys do like you can just start with making a, you know, in design practice, we use personas. You can make a non-human persona. You can make a persona of a tree that's just outside of your school building. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the tools, if you if you Google new, non-human persona, there's a, pop, there's, a, there's, a, there's a few tools popping up. You can just start doing that walk. Maybe you know, like the easiest way is like do a walk for like half an hour and then have a reflection session about what, what you felt, you know, like and what you see or like. Okay, that's a good one. I thought Euron was going to say, you see a tree and then you tell the students, be a tree and everybody stands still. And it's like yoga there. Tree <laughs> pose. I think there are various and multiple entry points into, you know, this, this kind of walk, this immersive walk, going on a walk and doing it badly the first time hmm. is a good place to start. Just like with anything else, this is a practice and you need to start and you will learn, learn about yourself and the challenges that you face, the challenges that your students face and be willing to pivot and change accordingly. And that's, again, I think one of the characteristics of life-centered systems thinking is it is emergent and yeah. it evolves. So just start, I think, would be my my advice. Yeah. Um, Don't be and, afraid and to try. Afraid. Yes, definitely. Because believe me, I feel, I still feel that I am always learning and feeling and doing things badly, <laughs> which which is also yeah. fun, I think. It's kind of like, let, like if, if I think if you're a teacher or like you're someone that's threatening, let's try something new together. Mm-hmm. Collaborate, yeah. Yeah, like kind of like and, like, be and, and be vulnerable about that. Like I like, I remember the first time I took like students to kind of a mountain lake to kind of create a persona of that mountain lake. It's like I've never done this before. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's. It awesome. turned out great. Yeah, you never know. the The one item that I would like to give as an idea to people is following up with what Yeron and Charlene were saying is go outside. Period. Just go outside. 
The second thing is just being outside, make that part of your job description, no matter what work you do. Yeah. Just make it part of your responsibility to spend time outside because it is a muscle. Like Jeroen was mentioning biologists, and I have experienced the same thing as a designer going outside with biologists because biologists have the knowledge of the behavior of some of the organisms and they know exactly where to look, but that's mm-hmm. muscle that we have to train. And so kind of stepping back into how maybe you were curious as a five-year-old child going outside and just being curious, just look, just touch, just, just explore. And then that will get your own ideas going will whatever resonates with yourself you can then do with the students i also wanted to reference a friend of mine wrote a book it's called eyesights and that's what we call spending time outside in nature and journaling and and coming up with those questions and she, she wrote a beautiful book on different prompts on how to kind of look at nature and how to scan a sketch and how to learn from nature. And so Aaron Rovalo wrote the book. So I'll be happy to reference that in the show notes, but definitely going outside and making that part of your job description is the first step that needs to happen. Yeah. It sounds like the quote from earlier in this season, which was every, every job's a climate job. Right. And Mm -hmm. you're at the moment yet. Yeah. And so getting outside is just part of you. Right, it's part of what no matter what job you, you're doing. Yeah, so we have time here for for one more question, and and that is, where are you going from here? What what kind of strategies and and resources can you recommend to people? And and where is your work going from this person this particular moment in time? So I have two endeavors. One endeavor is on Beetle Studio, and with that, the idea is to kind of develop lives in design and kind of create case studies. Mm-hmm. collaborating with like organizations, companies, governments to kind of like put kind of that life-centeredness in place and make sure that we kind of give nature a voice. That That's one thing. And I'm pretty ambitious about that. The other thing is at the Lifestyle Design School. And that's basically like educating designers, creatives. I also have architects, so it's kind of more creatives to use Lifestyle Design in their daily work or in the daily life or make a career shift. So those are my two endeavors and um, yeah, we're, we're at the start of something and it's going to go bigger or spread out kind of like from here. I'm very kind of like strategic about kind of like putting these things in place with as many people as possible. And it's a big learning, but even more unlearning. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was going to say, yes. if, if we end up going there, it's about unlearning. It's a lot of like, I feel, so I'm kind of like middle-aged white man from Northern Europe and there's so many systemic things kind of stuck in my, in, in, in my body or in my mind that have to get unstuck and kind of change. So, well, you should feel good because you are the only man on season three of Climify. So <laughs> it's an honor bestowed only to you. Thank you for that. Don't feel Thank too you. bad about being... No, that no, no. middle-aged white guy and <laughs> Let's not forget the host. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'm looking at my my video here and yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you put the description, eh? I do. <laughs> well, Charlene, what about you? In my work, well, you know, working 
at the center for complexity with my amazing, smart, intelligent, caring colleagues is always interesting. So one of the the projects that you know I'm working on right now is around uh, how do I put this? Rethinking structures of governance around planetary objects. And we are working to build studios with various stakeholders around themes of the ocean, around river systems, mm. satellites, things that are hard to take responsibility for, but have this huge impact on all of us. And the world needs to think about how we restructure this you know the how we engage with these planetary objects so that's something that you know i'm dipping my toes into right now and doing research for that so so that's something that i'm doing with the center for complexity along with you know running the strategic design programs but you know what i love about the other side of my work is i take up random jobs that my friends approach me with, like my very dear friend Myron, who works for the Indian Network on Ethics and Climate Change, called me and asked me, hey, do you want to help do a workshop for a bunch of really nice nuns from the Catholic Church? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Um, At least they're nice so, nuns, right? Yeah, and, and so they wanted help with the theory of change and their social impact work and how they can really engage with communities and facilitate responsibility and ownership of their own lives, right? Instead of being dependent on charity. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from a strategic point of view, from a communication point of view, I was intrigued by the opportunity to, to see how I can help this, you know, group of people who I usually don't interact with. Right, much. right. And yeah, and, and I work with, you know, other projects that I have right now around climate change or biodiversity. Michelle, what about you? So, yes, we are continuing the work on systems thinking, life-centered systems thinking. But I'm also, since I work at Arizona State University, which is heavily focused on forward thinking, innovative thinking, research, some really amazing things are happening. And so the design school is actually very invested in some of these issues with climate change. And we are partnering with the Global Futures Collaborative at the Arizona State University to design a new center with really one of my favorite colleagues that we're starting that as a studio for a multidisciplinary approaches. So we're going to invite students from all disciplines to join us. We're also going to take a trip so that we can do the immersive in a new environment based on the research topic that we're given. So we're going to explore some of those systems, complexities through various approaches, but it's all focused around life-inspired solutions. So that's my focus at work. And then on a personal level, I'm actually offering an immersion Hawaii for people who want to learn more about how to 
you know, reconnect with nature, learn from nature. Specifically, the topic is to how to learn about our own stresses and how to overcome disruption because organisms in Hawaii deal with that a lot with the volcanoes. And so we're going to look at how plants and animals in Hawaii deal with those adaptations and how, what we can learn from that for ourselves. So I'm teaching that immersion with a good friend of mine who teaches Ayurveda and yoga. So we're going to have this wonderful week. Amazing. And yeah, it's going to be quite unique. Lots of things. I don't think it's going to ever be the focus of one immersion to look at biomimicry and Ayurveda and yoga in Hawaii. So we'll see. I think it will be fun. But spending as much time outside in general for my life and gardening, having my vegetable garden and taking students outside is my well, it, it sounds that sounds like, amazing. Yeah, it Sorry. sounds amazing. And and from from everything I heard from you three today, it, it sounds what my takeaway is, is that if you're listening to this episode, the best thing you can do is just go for a walk outside and listen, smell, feel, see, be inspired, empathize with what's around you. And I feel like it's okay at that point that you can go hug a tree. I feel like that would be Absolutely. a fine thing to do. <laughs> I mean, amazing. You don't need a reason to hug a tree. No, that's right. It's got no. a bad name over the Everyone past do that on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Maybe don't hug a cactus, but hug a cactus. <laughs> and, and, and I would say, I would say, if I was given the button exercise from Charlene. It, I would grab the Arizona State Sun Devil from Michelle's school because <laughs> the sun turns. <laughs> Apparently, that Sun Devil has turned on a lot of forward-thinking people there. Oh, your <laughs> <Yeah>. program. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure having all of you on the show today. And if anyone listening wants to learn more about life-centered systems thinking, any of the websites that our hosts have are are a great way to go. Are there some other ones that you would recommend that someone might want to go to if they want to learn more besides yours, of course, because those are the, the best resources. Yeah. Well, I would actually, I don't know if we can, we can do this. Can we plug in our paper? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> so I think, you know, one of the resources that I know of personally is a paper that we co-wrote that's, you know, myself, Eric and Michelle around life-centered systems thinking and our learnings from attempting to introduce that into Eric's and Michelle's classes. Right. So we took, or rather Eric and Michelle took that leap. They tried it and the paper is about our critique of human-centered design, our, you know, recommendation to move towards life-centered systems thinking and how we attempted yeah. to try that and implement that in this, the graphic design classroom and our learning. So I think if anybody is looking to figure that out and implement these ideas in their classroom, that paper would be a great first start. And it also has references. So it will be a good starting point to kind of get other references as well. I'll link to it in all the notes as well. Put a star next to it. 
<laughs> yes, great, great mention, Charlene. And Eric and I have been doing some workshops with other educators as well. So if you read the paper and you like what you're reading and you have more questions, just feel free to reach out. All three of you have been very inspiring. I know that from working with Michelle and Charlene, that got me interested in the term life-centered. And so I've been doing that more in my work. And I hope if you're listening to this program that you take the leap as well and, and give it a shot with your design students. For all of you, it's been a wonderful time talking with you today. I'm sorry we only had the short time that we did, but I appreciate it and good luck in, in your current project. Yeah, thanks so much, Eric. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm super uh, excited and humbled to be on your podcast. Very honored. So thank you. I'm here, Eric. Thank you so much for the invitation. And it was such a wonderful conversation early in the morning, but it's a great way to start the day. Thanks so much for having me on here. This podcast is co-produced by Bianca Sandico and me. A big special thanks to Ellen Keith Shaw and Christine Pilot for their gorgeous work on our new branding, Batul Rashik and Mark O'Brien for their continued design help, Brandy Nichols and Michelle Wynn for their strategic guidance and always supporting me on this podcast. If you enjoy the work we all do here and you have a spare minute or two, we would truly appreciate it if you left a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. The more folks that review our program, the higher the algorithm pushes up Climify in the search results. And in turn, the more likely we all can learn how to become climate designers. <laughs>